0: When you have a product or service that you believe in, something that you know helps others, and you don't educate yourself, you don't get skilled and develop the capabilities around sales and marketing, you are stealing from those who need you most. And I'm serious about that word, stealing. Because there are people out there, hundreds, thousands, perhaps even millions, that right now you have something that could radically improve that person's life. And by you playing small and going, oh, I don't want to bug people and I don't want to be aggressive and I don't want to be annoying, you are holding back from someone possibly having an improvement that they desperately need.
1: You're listening to The Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simczyk. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 podcast. Here we go.
2: Welcome to the Almost 30 podcast. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. My name is Krista Williams. And I'm Lindsay Simsek. And if you're new here, Marie is coming.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she will be coming very shortly.
2: <laughs> yeah, we are so excited about this episode. Yeah. It actually, this episode in particular, if we're just talking about what Almost 30 is about, really, like when we sat down with her, it was a reinvigoration of why these conversations that we have that are candid and deep and vulnerable and just so insightful are so important to our individual growth. Like I just left feeling like, oh my God. Like I, I I, saw the potential in myself when I speak to her. Yep. You know, she really lights that up in people. She is so, I mean. She's powerful. She's powerful. She's just, you know, and
1: it's really nice that being behind the mic, we get to meet some amazing people, but it's just so awesome to meet someone like Marie, to see her online and see her online persona is her. She's as bubbly, as kind, as thoughtful, as present. And her, she really inspires me for the way that she speaks. I'm really inspired by the way in which she answers a lot of questions with stories. It's almost like, I just, I think that's such a good way to give context and grounding for the conversation. And I think it's so beautiful how she does that. So we had actually pitched Marie probably when we first started, you know, when we started the podcast three years ago, it was like, maybe we pitched her in the first couple months. Didn't really have much going on. And her team was so kind. They sent us the most kind decline. You know, I think Marie was probably in a launch mode or whatever. And and even her decline from her team to be on our podcast inspired me. It was like, you know, we always want to give everything we do 100% of our effort and attention. And right now that's possible. We're ever grateful for your email. Thank you so much. And it just shows, you know, from that day to now, it's always about timing and now couldn't have been a better time to have her. We just finished up launching our course podcast pro. This helps people to launch, grow and monetize their podcast. Basically every single thing that we've learned in the past three years growing almost 30 until the brand that it is. And she even after stayed after with us and just gave us great, great advice. Yeah.
2: I was like, <laughs> I, I tried to make sure my jaw was not on the floor. I was so impressed by her presence. This woman has a full schedule every single day. And so for her to be here with us and to actively ask about what we are doing within the business and be excited by what we're doing was really, really cool for us and inspiring because, you know, we we always want to remember. Why we got into this. And I think Marie is constantly reminding herself in these conversations with like early entrepreneurs like us, like why she got into this? Because like she loves seeing and helping people to succeed, to to find freedom in their businesses, you know, so they can spend more time with family, so they can take care of themselves, so that, you know, do all these things. So I just saw in her, I was like, oh, you were born yeah, for
1: this. 100%. <laughs> and it's, it's cool too, because like, so in our conversation with Marie, I wanted to really talk about when I see her now, I see this person that has, um, so much, you know, accessibility to amazing people. She's one of Oprah's, you know, recommended leaders. Um, she has millions of followers. She's on YouTube. She has all these amazing things. She has thriving B-School, but to go back with her and kind of reground ourselves in the journey that she's taken in the fact that she's always been a leader was just so inspiring. Cause I see her from the outside, even though I know her story, I've been following her since, you know, 2015, probably, and. Just to remind myself like, oh, she felt lost many times. She had to listen to that voice many times. Nothing, you know, not nothing, but her path didn't make as much sense as you would assume to go from being a bartender to a dancer. You know, all of these things, it was like, it is possible for people and it is um, achievable. And there is a new paradigm happening that we are participating in, that we are a part of, that she is, you know, spearheading.
2: Yeah, I, and I... We just wanted to touch on some of our our takeaways before we get into the interview. We'll we'll get into it in just a moment. But um, one of one of the things that really stuck with me was when she described herself as that multifaceted entrepreneur. I think that's the word she used. Multi passionate, multi passionate. But it is that where you're you are kind of a multifaceted person. You have a lot of interests and things that you want to do, and it's being able to really stand confidently in that. And so like when she was bartending and dancing and also coaching people, she would say that I'm a multi-talented entrepreneur and it gave her more confidence to really own all of that. Cause I think, you know, for me, like I've been a bartender the same time I was X, Y, and Z. And it was kind of something that I was like, Oh yeah, I bartend on the side. Cause you know, that's what you got to pay rent. And it was something I kind of brushed aside, but it was really cool to hear her talk about it in a way that was really confident. And it was just like a part of her journey. And I think that was a huge takeaway for me, like really understanding that every moment, every bump and, and, and victory and failure is so much a part of your journey and what you will talk about one day. You know, as a part of how you grew um, into who you are as you know a thriving business owner.
1: Yeah, it's so owning cool. that part of the process, and you know I will say very honestly that it's easier for me now to own those weird parts of my career, weird in quotes, those not standard side steps that I had in my career, like when I was serving and babysitting for nine months in LA when I was trying to find a job, and you know just to when I was in that process, it was incredibly defeating. And now that I feel really good in the place in which I am in my career, it's easy to be like, yeah, you know, I did that for those months. So, um, I have to be honest and say that like, if you're in it right now and you are in the thick of it, like my heart goes out to you and, um, there's nothing really you can do, but to just really continue on and just really take small steps to, um, move forward with your life, but it will get better. I promise. Truly. Uh, the one thing that the two things that I really loved were, you know, in the same vein, and, um, this is a little bit selfish, but related to team and I came from the corporate world. So these are things that actually I could have implemented within my corporate career, but I'm looking forward to implementing with our team. And, um, one of them was having a Slack channel dedicated to gratitude and, uh, recognition of people on our team. So whether that was, that's an email chain to your team at work or whoever you work with, or maybe even someone you love, but within our Slack channel for almost 30 we or within our Slack with almost 30, we created a separate channel that is just for gratitude in the moment. So when someone on your team does something really kind, or you notice someone going above and beyond, or you find yourself um, really impressed with someone that you're working with, it's sharing that more broadly with the team on Slack. That was just a small thing that I really love that we've implemented. And then another thing is talking about, we haven't talked about this yet, but thinking about like when in this year, can we dedicate time off for the business? Mm. Marie and her team have dedicated four weeks off total that the company shuts down. Uh, During the year, two weeks are in the holidays and then two weeks are in August, I believe. And it is mandatory company shutdown. And what's so beautiful about this is that it is new paradigm thinking, we can establish the structure in which our business runs, we can make this happen, we can participate in this. And because we are business owners, it is our choice to decide the ways in which our business will operate. And that really speaks to you know a worthiness thing, a fear thing that we would have to work on as business owners to feel like we can be worthy of that time off, which we will do. But I felt like that was just so inspirational to hear, and I'm sure that you know her team just really, really appreciates that.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I and it got me thinking about that, um, the idea of being relevant, and I think perhaps why some people don't take that time is fear of being not relevant anymore within those two weeks of time, which is just not true. But I think we do live in this day and age. If you are using social media as a part of your business or a way in which to um, elevate your brand, it is a scary thing. But I just loved that like fearless attitude around it because it is so important that not only she, but her team recharges and it's a way for like ideas to come in and land and ruminate without being on that racetrack to the next thing. So, yeah, I completely agree. And one last thing that really stuck with me our we, team is going to be like, another like, when is this happening? For like eight weeks. <laughs> yeah. <honestly. laughs> like, I'll probably just take two
1: weeks off and hit the road. Uh, just kidding. We love you guys and we'll talk to you. Yeah. We'll get back. We'll let to you know. You know.
2: <laughs> we still need to work on our worthiness of if we can do it. <laughs> this idea around who are you to? Who are you to? build a business of your own and be successful. Who are you to start a podcast? Who are you to blank, you know, fill in the blank. And I just thought it was so relatable for someone as like successful and amazing. And someone we looked over like, wow, can we be like Marie one day? So she shares a lot of those stories, which I think you all will really find inspiring.
1: Yeah. I definitely can relate to those. Uh, My last one was, you guys will not be surprised. My Almost 30 Nation. Um, Just her enthusiasm about sales and marketing. You know, Mm -hmm. I really think it's made such an impact on where she is today. And um, we really demystified what people believe sales and marketing is today and believing it's slimy or it's pushy or intrusive. And really, for me, sales and marketing is about clear communication of who you are, what you do, and Mm. just a clear expression of yourself. You know, being so much yourself in all aspects of your life so that people can understand you. And if they're interested and you have a product to buy into that product, and if that product is good and made with intention, they could change their life. So I think so much of what we do now is online, it's social, it's podcasting, it's YouTube, it's all of these things. And it is really important that you, if you are in the business of service and if you're in the business of you know wanting to grow a business, you have to understand clear communication through sales and marketing. Although it may not be fun for everyone, it's really just about confidence in what you're providing so that people
2: can participate. Yeah. I love that conversation because it's it, it was out of my wheelhouse. You came from sales and marketing. So it was really interesting to kind of hear her perspective on that confidence piece, on that believing in what you're doing is actually just a natural way to market and sell what you want to bring to the world. So this conversation is next level. We're so excited to share it with you. Thank you so much to Marie for joining us in person. Uh, It was truly a gift and we're really excited. Enrollment is open for Marie Forleo's famous and incredibly impactful B-School. So the enrollment closes on February 28th and B-School starts on March 2nd.
1: Yeah, that is really exciting for people that want to grow their side hustle, want to start a business, I'm actually probably going to do B-School this year just to really brush up on some things. And we have partnered with Marie through the B-School program. So if you go to our show notes for this episode, there is a link for you to join B-School. We'll also have the link in our swipe up on Instagram. Um, and we're really excited if you guys are interested to learn more about all of these tools, basically what we should have learned in school. It's all available in B-School.
2: Yeah, share.marieforleobschool.com slash almost30 is our link. But again, you can go to our show notes, you can go to our website and go to our Instagram. We have all the info for you there.
1: Yep. And you can find Marie on Instagram at MarieForleo, MarieForleo.com. She's on YouTube at Marie TV. Enjoy this one. And thank you so much for listening to Almost 30 Podcast. Love you.
2: As our listener, you are going to get a discount plus a free thermometer, baby. Use code ALMOST30 at naturalcycles.com to get 15% off an annual subscription plus a free thermometer. That's naturalcycles.com. You're going to use the code ALMOST30 to get 15% off an annual membership and a free thermometer. Wait, I want to talk quickly just stop
1: put a pin on the celebrating wins. Yes. Like what was the, because we're actually trying to do that ourselves now. What was the arc of that conversation with your team and like a time where you realized
0: that you needed to celebrate wins? So everyone on the team were all ballers and crushers, right? So we absolutely love the game. We love what we do. We're super ambitious. We're always creating something and we're also like hyper-organized. So we noticed that, oh my goodness, like the calendar was like this and then this and then this. And you come to a point where you're just like, not only are we tired, but we didn't even celebrate all of these wins because we're already on to the next thing and the next thing. And we had this conversation where like, yo, we're doing so good. Like, why don't we actually just take a minute? And what prompted, what was one of the best things, I've done a lot of really cool things in my company and we could talk about whatever bits of them, but this was something that happened. So we have a, this program called B-School mm-hmm. and we have B-School mentor coaches and we were all on a Slack channel. And we we're just having this conversation in the morning, um, just sharing about what was happening and what's happening with our students. And we were all like, wouldn't this be cool if we were having these conversations with margaritas and guacamole. And I chimed in and I was like, why don't we make that happen? They're like, what? And I literally slid over into my uh, director of operations. I said, I want to take the entire company on vacation, not on a team retreat, but actually on vacation. Oh, I love that. Can we go to Mexico? And she's like, yeah, we can do whatever we want. And it was in that context of going like, We are doing so well. We have such incredible humans. Wouldn't it be cool if we all spent like three or four days in Mexico, no team meetings, no brainstorming. We don't even have to talk about work. Like if it comes up organically, great, but there's nothing formal. And within two and a half months, we've probably had close to 30 people on planes going to a resort and spending like three days just going in the water and going to Coco Bongo's or like all these places just hanging out. So the trajectory was calendar, 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 realizing we weren't celebrating anything to now we really take time out and do special things together.
1: Wow, and what was like the result of that? What have you noticed shift on your team since really noticing to celebrate wins?
0: Well, one of the things is, you know, I run a completely virtual company. So everyone's distributed and we do a really incredible job of staying connected through Slack and through phone calls and through email and every digital tool that we have to work remotely. And we're all really big hearted people and we actually like each other. So what happened after our team vacation was I felt like people had deeper bonds. The trust that was already there grew stronger. I think people felt even more connected to each other and to the mission. And you know, we're all human, we go through things in life. And so when someone on the team is experiencing some type of hardship, something's happening with their family or their health, you're like that much more committed to having that person's back when you've hung out with them for four days and eaten guacamole and drank a few margaritas with people. You know the fullness of their humanity, not
2: just how they show up at work. Hmm. Was there ever a time that that was hard for you to do? Like- To take that moment in time, sometimes I feel like in the beginning of something very exciting and it has momentum, you're like, no, 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 we got to keep going. Yeah. And was there any fear there around allowing the team to like really soak this up? Yeah. So that's an interesting question. And so for me, giving context,
0: like I've been doing this for 20 years and the first seven years, I was pretty much a one woman show. Like I had virtual assistants and I had kind of more temporary like people, but I was also spinning a lot of plates. Like I had my coaching practice. I also had this simul career um, in dance and fitness. I was one of the world's first Nike elite dance athletes. Um, I was also still bartending and waiting tables. So I was kind of doing all these different things. Then personally, I had a lot of fear of never stopping because I felt like if I stopped anything, it would all fall apart. And I was also still struggling to make ends meet, so there that fear wasn't unfounded, right? However, once the team started to grow and build, like fun is one of my biggest values in life, and so it honestly wasn't hard for me. Like I see how hard they work every single day. And I also just love to hang out. I love to connect with people. So when we kind of realized that we weren't giving ourselves any pauses, we're like, shit, yeah, we're doing this. Like, this is awesome. And so, you know, I've taken the team to like, Disney World, one year for my birthday for everyone who's um, here on the West Coast, like I rented uh, a party bus. I just told them to show up and like out comes this <laughs> bus with like a dancer pole and all kinds of lights. Of and course. What happens went, on the bus days on yeah. the bus. <laughs> was, like Myself and like one of my animators, like we had bruised knees because we were literally crawling on the ground, like an HR nightmare. <laughs> I am, I, am honestly, I think about that a lot. <laughs> and this is what's great about my team. Like they know exactly who I am. Yep. You know, I am an HR nightmare. Let's put it that way. Hey, yep. <laughs> but we have so much fun and there is such a spirit of love and silliness and being who you are and taking care of people that my HR nightmares are pretty silly? Yes, do you, do you of course. I mean? I'm like I am an HR nightmare and I am HR right now. <laughs> yes. And you know, like we have on our team, we've done something. They have a professional version, but um if you've ever read The 5 Love Languages, mm-hmm. you know, it's been on the bestseller list for eons. It's actually really applicable at work, mm-hmm. and especially when we spend so much time as a distributed team not being in person, to understand what makes a person feel loved and acknowledged and seen and heard is a really critical tool as a leader so that you're delivering acknowledgement, you're delivering warmth, you're delivering the ability to see someone in a way that really fills them up and that gets them motivated to do the next best thing.
1: Mm. Yeah. And you touched on it, but I do want to, you know, just bring it back a little bit for the girls. You know, most of our girls know you and they love you. They were DMing us all day. They're so excited that you're here, but just an overview of your story because, you know, I think it is really important because I look at you and many women look at you and just in admiration and almost assumption that you've never had insecurities. You've, you know, never really felt like, you know, you've never had excuses, all of those things. And I know you've really had a journey and you've really had, you know, you were one of the first coaches. You really did things before anyone else did. So I'd love to go back and kind of go through your story and sort of how you've made it to
0: where you are. Yeah. So, you know, when I graduated college, um, my first job was on Wall Street on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And I was really excited about that because I'm a human with a lot of energy and the thought of actually being right. in a cubicle and sitting like pushing papers all day made me want to stick a fork in my eye. So super excited, ambitious, really grateful. I'm the first in my family to go to college. So I was like, oh my goodness, I have a job on Wall Street. This is amazing. And I've also really been inspired and driven to make a lot of money. In my family, there was never a lot. And there was a lot of pain around my parents divorcing and my mom not having money. And I made myself a solemn promise when I was eight years old that no matter what it took, when I was a grown up, I would earn enough money to take care of the people that I loved because I had this association that a lack of money meant a lack of love. And a lack of money meant pain and suffering and stress for all the people that I cared about. And I also saw that story, or at least that's the story I made up, about friends that I saw too in school, when their parents got divorced, it was like money, money, money. And I was like, I'm going to handle this money thing come hell or high water. So being on Wall Street, I was like, "Okay, I got this. Fast forward like six months, I had been trying to do my best, showing up with my game face, like just, okay, I'm here. I'm going to do this job. But this little small voice inside of me kept saying, Marie, this isn't it. This isn't who you are. This isn't what you're meant to do. This isn't who you're meant to be. But here's the problem. It didn't tell me what I was supposed to be doing instead. And I was like, "This is nuts! I can't leave a job when I don't have a trust fund. This is a steady paycheck. I have health care. I am making my family proud, <laughs> you know." But when I looked around, first of all, ninety nine point nine percent of the people I worked with were men. Incredibly sexist environment. I would get hit on constantly. I was gonna say, like, One, it was like I was trying to be taken seriously. And that was just always a losing proposition. I actually cut off all my hair and okay. had a pixie cut because I thought, well, maybe that's going to get. I me. was like, "Was your hair in a bun every day?" I was <laughs> I thinking that it or the cut all off, all of it, and that didn't work. And they're like, "Oh, maybe she looks like a cute little boy." Like, who knows what was going on in their heads, right? Also, from a culture perspective, bell rings at four. You hit strip clubs. You do lots of coke. That's the lifestyle. And I was like, "This is not me." One day, I was on the floor and I had what I can only identify as a little bit of a panic attack. I had trouble breathing, I felt nauseous, I was like, what's going on, dizzy? Told my boss, hey, I need to run out and grab a cup of coffee. I went to Seton Hall University, which is a Catholic university, so I was kind of trained that in a crisis, you just look up just for a little guidance. I made a beeline, not to a coffee shop, but to Trinity Church, which was like two blocks away. And I sat on the church steps and I put my head in my hands and I just cried because I felt like such a loser. I was like, what is wrong with me? I know I want to work hard. I know I want to be a professional. I need to get out of here. This is awful. And the first sign I got was to call my dad because my dad had busted his buns to put me through school. I was really afraid, not of him being mad at me, but just being a disappointment, bringing shame to my family. So crying, calling me dad. And he broke in and he's like, Ray, he's like, you're okay, stop crying. He's like, you've been working since you were nine. He's like, let me tell you something. You're gonna work for the next 40 or 50 years of your life. Here's the big secret. You have got to find something you love. And once you find something you love, everything starts to fall into place. And if this job is making you this physically sick and you're crying right now, then you gotta leave it. And you gotta keep searching and searching until you find that thing that you love. And then everything will start to make sense. my dad didn't give me any clue (laughs) how to find something you love, but that was a huge breakthrough for me because I realized that he was right. Even though I didn't know how to find that thing, it rang true in my soul. So I asked myself, okay, well, what do I know about me? Well, I'm very creative. Like as a kid, I thought maybe I would be an animator for Disney or a fine artist. That's all I did when I was little, but I also loved business. My dad was a small business owner. And I was like, how do I mesh these two things? And the idea that came to my mind was the world of publishing and women's magazines. I was like, well, maybe that's gonna work. There's the business side of ads. There's the editorial side. So I went to a temp agency and I got a position as an ad sales assistant at Gourmet Magazine. Now this was great because I love to eat, right? I love food. I was like, this is awesome. My desk was outside the food editor's kitchen. They would bring me snacks all day. My boss- It was a dream. Mm -hmm. My boss, Sandy, she was this amazing- Account exec, a woman, I was like, oh, this is gonna be wonderful. Fast forward six months, I start hearing that still voice inside again. Marie, this still isn't it. This isn't who you are. This isn't what you're meant to do. This isn't who you're meant to be. And I was like, oh,
1: yeah, shit. you're like, not again. <laughs> not again. My hair's just
0: growing out. <laughs> that was exactly right. I had like the most awful, like in between layers. <laughs> it was <Then> sad. <laughs> but I said, okay, let me step back and look at this objectively. Wall Street, all about numbers and money ad sales, all about numbers and money. And then I looked, I was like, do I actually want to become my boss, Sandy? Like, Would I aspire to have her job? And I was like, not really. And I looked ahead to the publisher, who was another powerful, intelligent woman. Do I want her job eventually? And I was like, no. And I thought to myself, well, if I don't want to climb this corporate ladder, what am I doing wasting their time and mine? Maybe I got the whole thing wrong. Maybe I should be more on the creative side, right? So I went to HR and I said, hey, next time there's an assistant position on any editorial team. I'll take it. Position came up at Mademoiselle Magazine, in the fashion department. I was like, all right, this is gonna be it. I'm working with designers. I'm going to fashion shows, doing layouts. This is gonna be awesome. And of course, at first it was exciting because it was novel and new and I'm a lifelong learner. So that was wonderful. But then six months in, I heard the same voices again. And you guys, I literally thought I was like, There's got to be a cognitive issue. What is wrong with me? Do I have commitment issues? Do I have ADHD, which it turns out I do? Can I not focus? Like, why do I want to work really hard, but I can't seem to keep a frigging job for the life of me? And again, I was grateful for work. That was the only thing paying my bills. I had debt after college. I'm like, none of this makes sense. One day I was on the internet and I stumbled upon an article about a new profession at the time called coaching. Now you gotta get, this is 1999 for context. Nobody had heard of coaching yet, right? It's brand new. And when I've read that article, something in my heart lit up like a Christmas tree. It was like the clouds parted and there was little cherubs with their trumpets and it was like, <laughs> ah, right? This mm-hmm. is what you're meant to be. Now I'm 23 years old. The logical part of my mind, I'm also from New Jersey, so I'm a little cynical. Who the hell are you? thinking that you can become a life coach at 23. You can't even hold down a job. You're in tons of debt. Who the hell is gonna hire a 23 life coach? You haven't even uh, lived life already. Like this is nuts. This is not gonna work. This is one more thing you're gonna fail at. Yet simultaneously in my heart and my soul, it felt right. So on the spot, I signed up for a three-year coach training program. I kept my job at Mademoiselle during the day and I did my studies at night and on weekends few months later, I got a call from the HR department. They had a promotion for me at Vogue. More money, more prestige, a, a career that people could understand. And that was my fork in the road. Do I do this weird ass life coaching thing that no one has ever heard of, I'm petrified of, that feels right, that doesn't make any sense, or stay on this safe corporate path and go to the best fashion magazine in the world? I turned down the promotion and quit my job went back to bartending and waiting tables and put my entire life into figuring out both how to be a coach and how to build a business and that was 20 years ago wow for the and and you've seen and that's
1: i I love your story and I've heard it and I just love it every time you say it. I'm so inspired because I'm like I want to be able to like hold presence of my journey like you do. But to the coaching thing, so you've seen coaching really evolve yes. and we actually have, you know, a lot of women in our community are interested in the space or in the space or, you know, we're around it being here in LA. So, what are your thoughts are? What are your thoughts on its evolution and like now it's such a business and there's so many people in it. Um, and there's also a negative
0: connotation at times. Sure. So what are your what are your thoughts on those? Yeah, I mean, I had a negative connotation with it, to be honest with you. Like when I first read that article, I was like, what the hell's the term life coach? That's like the cheesiest thing ever. I don't even call myself that to this day. So I completely get it. I also think that, you know, when I went into college, I actually started as a psych major because I was very, very fascinated and interested in human potential and i think that there is a lot more avenues now than there has ever been before for us to partner with people you don't necessarily only have to go to a therapist or a psychotherapist there are ways to work with others who have expertise that can help you in certain areas of your life it might be around your health it might be around your business it might be around your relationships you might be around your parenting. So I actually think the fact that coaching and coaches exist in broad strokes is a very good thing. The challenge is obviously in terms of people's ability, right? You just don't know if you're hiring a good coach, but that's true with almost anything. True, yeah. A dentist, a doctor, um, you know, a real estate person. It's true all over. And then I think the other challenge is you have to, no matter what you're doing in this world... There is the craft of what you do. Let's say you want to be a writer. You have to become a really great writer, and that takes time and effort. But you also have to understand the business of the kind of writing that you would like to do. Do you want to be a nonfiction writer? Is it around TV? Is it around um, fiction books? Who knows? But you, everyone these days has to embrace their entrepreneurial spirit because that is the way you thrive in the modern world. So I don't know if I answered that yeah. exactly, but no, that was perfect. I think for coaches, it's vital that you continue to always get better at your craft of coaching, yeah, and continue to evolve as a business person.
2: Oh, okay, small daily actions. Ah, they just make a big difference. And I just cannot emphasize this enough. It creates this cascade effect and honestly a snowball effect. (laughs) So one begets the next really great positive small action, but it almost has like a bigger impact as the day, as the week goes on. Um, And I'm just someone who very much believes in this, whether you're like smiling at a stranger, or maybe you wake up a little bit earlier to practice your meditation, or maybe read part the book that you're loving, uh, or maybe you integrate a healthy habit, like taking a probiotic, which is something that I've been doing for a few years now. I've been taking seeds DSO one daily symbiotic and I love it. And I've just noticed that this is the catalyst at the beginning of the day for a ton of healthy choices that I make. Um, and I've noticed a difference when I don't Their DSO1 daily symbiotic is incredible. What is different about seeds? So, seeds' patented capsule and capsule design is so unique. It basically means that the fragile bacteria within the capsule can survive the journey. So from like shipping to your door to when you put it in your body all the way through your GI tract, um, all without synthetic or chemical coatings. Um, and this was developed in collaboration with seed scientific board and based on their foundational work in probiotics in the microbiome, they're the best in the space. Um, So I just, I trust them and I've experienced incredible results. So trust your gut with Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash almost and use the code 25almost to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash almost. The code is 25almost. Okay. I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app. um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him. This story in our heads of who am I to yes. is interesting, you know, and I feel like it came up for you a few times and it's definitely come up in my life and Krista's life. I know I've never, <laughs> so weird. I've never felt that way. <laughs> You're like, I know why. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I know a lot of people in our community feel that way right before they're about to do the thing. Yes. You know, it's like that, it's like that rite of passage. I don't know what yes. it is. So what... You know, speaking to people out there who might be feeling that, like, who am I to be a coach? Who am I to start a podcast? Who am I you know all these things like what is that conversation? How has it evolved in your head? Mm-hmm. and how do you and you talk about it in the book, like how do you train your brain to really collaborate with these feelings in a way?
0: yeah, so there's there's so many layers to this. I think to understand that conversation is universal in nature, right? When we're having it in our own minds, it feels so personal. Like, oh, I'm the only one that thinks this way and I'm terrible. When you realize everyone has that conversation. Uh, We talk about it in the book a little, research shows that up to 70% of us feel what's known as imposter syndrome, that we don't deserve to do the thing that we want to do or that if we've had even a tiny bit of success that it's somehow a fluke or you know, we're we don't deserve it and we're fraud and everyone's going to find that out. And I think that's an evolution of what you're talking about, right? It's almost like the next stage of it. Um, people like J-Lo have it and Jodie Foster and Maya Angelou. So you start to kind of see how universal that is in terms of how to move through it. I think awareness is key, right? So if you're having that conversation, you're like, oh, every single person I admire, from an artist to an athlete to um, a scientist to a politician to a parent, they all have that conversation. I'm having that right now because I'm on the precipice of doing something exciting. Some of that conversation is connected to fear, right? And what I think, so fear is this evolutionary response. We all know it's why we're still alive. But if you take it out of the context of fear stops you from walking in front of a moving bus, very helpful. The other times that we feel fear is often when we feel it and it keeps us small and stuck. So a context on fear, fear is a GPS for where your soul most wants you to go. And if you start hearing that conversation like, oh, who am I to? It's likely you are moving in the direction that your soul most wants you to go, i.e. a place of maximum growth, i.e. the place that your life is about to get fucking awesome. Now, does that mean it's going to be all rainbows and unicorns? Oh, hell no. Does that mean that you're not going to cry in the corner? You most certainly will. Are you going to bruise your knees and get scraped up? Yes, yes, and more yes. But I think if any of us look throughout our journeys, we often find that some of the most difficult things and the fear-based things Mm -hmm. and the place where we have who am I to, and we just hang out with it and keep moving forward, those are the places where we have things we're so proud of or it's so meaningful or we've grown as a human. Here's one of the best things about getting older. I just want to give a preview. You give so many less fucks. A hundred percent. Right? It's a dream. (laughs) It's it's, it's, a goddamn dream. I would not go back to my 20s if you paid me ten, million. Yeah, talk about all dollars, yes. So in this context of the conversation, who am I to? While it never fully goes away, maybe for some amazing humans it does. Maybe when I'm 90, you guys will have me back on and we can Mm -hmm. talk about it then. But I've still had that. We could talk about my most current versions, but it gets smaller and smaller and smaller over time. And you know it, you see it coming. You're like, oh, hi, old friend. You again, mm-hmm. we can tango, let's do this. Mm-hmm.
1: 100%. It was, I was at this like um, influencer dinner thing the other day and I actually walked in and it was like 20 people and I didn't know anybody. And I was like, oh, wow. It's like, usually I know at least one or two people. And I actually had a moment where I was like, oh, the old me would have probably left. Like, just literally walked in and been like, nope. <laughs> and, but then the older me is just like, it's just one dinner. If yes. I don't talk to anyone, that's fine. And I just like walked up to people and I was like, can I talk to you? And it's just like such a less, caring of like what am i going to look like if no one's talking to me what am i going to who am i going to talk to what am i going to set you know that whole conversation of like insecurity i was just it's just like left it's yes. like i can hold a conversation with anyone like who cares it's one night mm-hmm. it's so nice we talk about that a lot getting older is like the best when i'm 90 it's going to be crazy <laughs> um, and you just you touched on it what are your current who am
0: i conversations that you're having in your head i had one around the launch of the book so I'm so proud, and my intention always with the book was like, I want to put all of my effort and energy into making the content as actionable and transformative as it can be. Once we crossed that hurdle and it was off to the printers, then it became okay, so what can we do to bring this out into the world so it can get in as many hands as possible? Because when you write books, it's not about making money, right? Books are big business cards and they're about ideas and changing people's lives. I love books. And this idea came into my heart, and it was like, what if a Beyonce concert and a TED talk had a baby and then threw a block party. Wouldn't that be cool? And I was like, that's how I want to launch my book in New York City. I've never seen it done before. I don't know what the hell that even looks like besides the phrase that kind of came out of my head. It was such an amorphous, like precious, exciting, joy-filled possibility, but I didn't know if it would work in real life. And it's not really typical for how to launch a book. And we had all these other things we were needing to do, like book tour and not the traditional stuff. I'm like, who am I to do this? Who am I to produce and perform in a concert? Like, is this just so nutty? Like, have I lost it? And I talked to my team about it. I talked to the publishers who were literally just like, what is she doing? What, why? And, And I kept taking the steps forward. And I said, this is awesome because writing a book everything is figure outable. Like I am stepping into every single lesson that I've talked about. It's like a circular thing that we all go through. So it was like me having to go like, do I believe this is possible? Yes, I do. And then is it possible for me to do it? Absolutely, but I don't know how. Starting before you're ready. It's like, okay, well, we're just gonna start calling up big venues like the Hammerstein Ballroom and seeing if they're available. Okay, I'm gonna start reaching out to choreographers. And I happen to work with an amazing choreographer named Luam worked with Beyonce. Okay. How many backup dancers do we want? I was like, oh, what about five? I'm like, how about 15? Whoa. You amazing. know, what happens? Or, where are we going to sell tickets? Oh, we're going to sell them on Ticketmaster. Like little by little, this thing started coming together and I actually vlogged the whole process and showed how petrified and insecure and stressed out that I was once I committed to doing this thing and then had to figure out how to actually make it happen. And I will tell you guys this, it was the most terrifying, exhilarating experience of my life. Like we literally brought that notion of a Beyonce concert and a Ted talk had a baby and then threw a block party to life. We had over 2000 people, we sold it out. Um, Folks flew in from 21 countries and 41 different states. And it was the most creatively fulfilling thing I have ever done in my career.
1: It was so cool. Damn. Your oh. vlogs were so yeah. dope too. Like you guys
0: can look at them on YouTube.
1: Yes, they're amazing. I just like I actually I think I sent the your email to the team because it was just such a good. Your emails are so well done. Their goals, but. Just you describing the fear and then moving through the fear. Yes. And then coming to the place where you created this beautiful thing. And then the vlogs behind it, I was like, damn, this is just so right. So they're beautiful.
0: But I I feel like all of us, to your point, it was like, oh, who am I to? Like we keep having those. There was another one that was several years ago that was, I actually want to talk about this because I think it's so important in the culture we're in right now. I remember just feeling like we were just pushing nonstop. Right. And, you know, I've had Marine TV for over a decade now. It's like creating fresh content every single week, fresh emails. And then as social layers and layers and layers, and every platform is like a whole universe, a universe in and of itself. I just remember there was one day I was having like the biggest PMS carp craving. I was like in my house in New York. I'm like, I need a fucking croissant right now. Or I'm good. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. I, need yeah. a, I need a good croissant. And there was this French bakery around the corner and I went to the French bakery and I looked at the door and there was this little white sign on it, closed due to vacation back in two weeks. No bitch. And I was like, open that shit up, <laughs> right? I, and I wanted to crash through the door, but here's what that <laughs> paper inspired me. I was like, oh my goodness. Like I was thinking oh. to myself how... Our culture pressures us to create more, and more, more, to be on 24-7, to respond, to engage, to be in DMs, to like never stop. And I went home and I called my director of operations. I said, hey, what if we do life and business different? What if we close down our entire company for two weeks? No one's on. I'm not posting, we're not creating, everyone gets to be with their family. And what if we do this twice a year, like very European? We're going to do it in August and we're going to do it in December. And my director, Robert, is like, this sounds amazing. What, what's the worst thing that could happen? I was like, nothing. And that was probably about five or six years ago. I will tell you guys, it transformed our company culture. Wow. Nothing, no small children died because we're not publishing. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And we have so many other business owners who've now also adopted that practice. Yeah. And it is transformative. Like, as creatives, to give yourself not just a couple of days, but actually two weeks where everyone just gets to pause and do things offline and get refreshed and take care of their health it's a game changer. So there was a thought like, who am I to go against the culture of like, hustle harder and 24 seven mm-hmm. and, and I was like, grind some, mode. That's some bullshit. Yeah. Yes, we do have to grind sometimes. Yes, we put in long hours sometimes. Yes, when you're in the middle of a sprint, like when we were with our book launch, shit was crazy pants. abso freaking we're doing 12 hours a day, but we don't do that all the time. Right. That had a beginning, middle and an end. And once we were done, I was like, I need a nap. Inspo.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. truly. I, I just want to, the story that you told um about, you know, the the Beyonce and the block party had to baby, you know, all the things yeah. had a baby uh, for the book launch, which was like for us really inspiring as we start to just create experiences for people yes. that come from our heart and not what someone's done before. Yes. But you said a lot of people were like, no, like, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Yeah. So that idea of refusing to be refused, which you talk about in the book is just so interesting to me you talk about just not not adhering to that reality of someone else because you feel like oh well that's how it's always been done before yes so how did you kind of break up with that habit and you know especially as a woman in this business and you are paving the way and you are like doing things in a new paradigm type way i'm yes. sure it comes up a lot
0: so it started actually in the beginning when i had an idea of what a successful business woman should look like and that was like a nine-year-old's idea, right? And my nine-year-old idea of what a successful businesswoman entailed, like really big shoulder pads and not in a fashionable way. Being in some high floor corner office in New York City, having on like a power suit with like super high heels and speaking in a very articulate and professional manner. And when I first started my coaching practice, I tried to embody that. I tried to create content that I felt would be taken seriously because I was 23 and I was so fucking insecure about my age. And I knew I had a lot to learn. I knew I had just started my training, but I also knew I wasn't a dummy. I had some value to offer as well simultaneously, right? My content in those early days, you guys, was so stilted. It was, there was no life in it. It was me trying to be something that I'm not. And I remember being so frustrated by that, that I said, fuck it. I'm from New Jersey know probably I've offended who knows how many That's people. okay, I'm from Jersey too. Okay, great. Okay. It's Jersey like- girls. <laughs> <laughs> I started to just speak like the real me, which has some spice. We say, oh, Picante and Maria's here. That's Marie. I have many different sides of me, right? It's not one note. And when I started letting myself be me, I realized I had these barriers like, oh, you can't be real, and authentic and actually build a proper business. No one's going to take you seriously if you have a bit of a potty mouth. And I started crashing down those ideas for myself. I was like, oh, yes, I can. And even when my coaching business started to get a little bit of traction, I realized even identifying as a coach felt narrow and limiting to me. I had so much passion around hip hop and dance and fitness that I built this simul career and A term came to my mind that is like a gift from the career gods. I remember I dreaded you guys when people asked me what I did for a living Mm -hmm. because I never had one good society approved answer. And this is getting to an answer to your question. Mm -hmm. It's the long winded way, but it relates. I remember- Having the phrase appear in my mind, multi-passionate entrepreneur. I was like, where the hell did that come from? This is perfect. The next time somebody asked me what You're I
1: like, did, like finally the, the voice helps me. The voice <laughs> is like, oh,
0: yeah, next time someone asked me what I did for a living, I was like, I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. And I said it with a bit of confidence, like, oh, what does that mean? And I told them about my mm-hmm. coaching practice. Then I told him about the J-Lo dance workshops I was teaching. And I told him about my Nike gig. And I told him about my bartending. It was like one day of the week I'm doing something different. And seeing myself in that new context, that's what helped me begin to learn from experience how to refuse to be refused, how to not take the world's definition of what success is, that you can only be one thing or that business women talk this way or that in order to have a successful team, they all need to be in the same office building in New York City. And I started to like bat down all those things and build something that was really true to me. So that refuse to be refused mantra and concept is like, why the fuck not? Like every time in our team, we're like, we have an idea. I'm, I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if we're like, can we do that? We're like, yeah, if we want to. Yeah, sure, we can. So I think it's a practice. I think it's a practice. And I think it's, you know, you never do it out of disrespect, but everyone has the right to live their lives and build their businesses in their own way. And if someone tells you, no, I don't think that that's possible, you don't have to believe them. You can go and do exactly what you want to do.
2: Yeah, it's a choice.
1: Yeah, I love that. The When we talk about the fear thing, I'm curious of your thoughts, and I think about this quite often, and I, I work on this, but it's the fear leading you to something that is you know, your, your destiny, your path, like that exciting thing that's really going to help you grow.
0: But I guess, how do you decipher between fear and intuition? Yes, this is one of my favorite topics because it can catch all of us and it can get us really tripped up. So when you're building a business, when you're building a life that's exciting and fulfilling to you, there are going to be opportunities that present themselves. And anytime we as human beings are on the precipice of something amazing, we're going to feel what we identify, right, as fear, like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this. Should I do this? Should I say yes to this? And in those times, it can be really confusing. Is this normal healthy fear that we should just say yes and step up and move through, right, fear, uh, face everything and rise? Or is this our intuition telling us, oh, hell no, this is going to get you in trouble. This is not the right partnership. This is not the right opportunity. You're going to regret this later. And so there's a test that I share with everyone I know because it's been so incredibly transformative to me. And it helps you decipher for yourself without fail every single time what you should do. Here's how the test goes when you are considering a particular opportunity, hiring a new person, saying yes to a speaking engagement, trying to get a new client, whatever's in front of you you get silent, you get rid of your technology, do this by yourself, close your eyes, take a nice deep breath, and you ask yourself this question. Does the idea of saying yes to this opportunity make me feel expansive or contracted? Now, in the nanosecond, after you ask yourself that question, I guarantee you, your physical body will have a response. It may be subtle, like if you never move, if you never take walks, if you never actually get in your body, it's going to be a little more challenging for you to start to listen to this, but the, the signals are there. So let's decipher what's the difference between expansive or contracted. So does the idea of saying yes to this opportunity make me feel expansive or contracted? Expansive might feel like your chest is opening up, like your body is moving forward in space, like in Marie Kondo terms, something sparks joy, right? Even if it's a little terrifying, you're you're actually moving forward, you feel bigger, you feel lighter, you feel more powerful. You might not be able to explain why. Contracted. After the moment you ask yourself that question, if you sense the hint of dread, of heaviness, of your shoulders hunching forward, of your body moving back in space, even of your head shaking no on the most subtle level... That's your intuition telling you, don't fucking do this. Here's where this gets real important. When an opportunity comes up that on paper sounds real good to your ego, there's a lot of money on the line. Everyone else in your position would say, yes, they would jump at this opportunity. There's some type of competitive element where there are people that you consider somewhat competitors are absolutely included and you must be there too, or else you are going to fall behind. That's where you have to pay extra close attention because oftentimes our egos will want to override our natural knowing. And that's when we fuck ourselves
2: up. Right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code ALMOST30. 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code ALMOST30 for 20% off site-wide. Take a deep breath for that. (laughs) I know, I love that. Here's what's cool though. Most of us have these great
0: examples of when we overrode our intuition in the past. 100%. When we got ourselves in trouble, right? Where you're like, God, I knew I wow. shouldn't have showed you yes to this. Like there was this mm-hmm. little alarm bell going off, but you're like, no, I know better. This is a great opportunity. I should think, yeah, this <laughs> will be great exposure. Oh, oh my God, <laughs> this will be great exposure. <laughs> this will be great exposure for the brand. <laughs> is one of the like most telltale red fucking flags Honestly. that we can ever wave for anything. Mm-hmm. And so that is the test I would encourage everyone. You can do it in a nanosecond and just keep doing it. We'll, we do this on our team, actually. When something comes up, even a strategy that we've created, that we've said yes to, I did this just two weeks ago. We're all like, oh yeah, we're moving ahead. This sounds so cool. This is going to be new and different and innovative. And all of a sudden we get into the execution of it. And I feel legitimately my body going, oh, hell no. Yeah, like, yeah. This is not, what we should be doing. And I'll say, hey guys, what does it feel like if I took this off the table right now? If I just literally took this strategy and poof, made it go away. What do you feel? Do you feel joyful or do you feel sad? I swear to you guys, everyone on the team's like, joyful. I'm like, it's fucking gone. (laughs) Yes, that's it. (laughs) Like, we're such hard workers. It's not because they don't feel joyful because they don't want to do more work they feel joyful because they're in touch with their intuition. And I think especially as women, it's one of the strongest assets we have to build a wildly profitable and satisfying mm. business. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Am I, I I, I, no, I you, okay. Am I talking too much? No, so, I love
2: it. Am I talking too much in our interview? With her. <laughs>
0: <We're>, yeah. <laughs> are, are you, you star talking baby? about...
2: Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of your team, I'm just so fascinated, you know, for someone that's been doing this for so long, I'm sure there have been trials and errors oh, in yes. terms of managing a team. And, yes. you know, we're building our team now and trial and error every single day, but it's really exciting. It's it's more exciting and expansive to think of empowering people to do their best and do things they love. So I'd love to know kind of things that you've implemented in the day to day that have really worked for you and your team Around communication, around creativity, and all that.
0: So um, this is something we do virtually every single week on our team calls. We do it on Thursdays, and there's signs behind this. It is the value of appreciation. So once we kind of get through our meeting, which we kind of go through the priorities of the day and status checks on all the different projects, and everyone, if anyone has to get in touch with each other, that's the opportunity for us to kind of huddle. And your director of operations runs it? Yes. Okay. And if she's out, then another director runs it. So everyone's there. We're all looking at our Asana tasks. We're like in it to win it. And then we shift into question time. And it's a little bit of Mad Lips. It's around calling someone out on the team that you appreciate and telling them a very specific reason why you appreciate them. And so it may be like for me, you know, I appreciate Louise, on my team this week, because what she does to make sure that every single detail in uh, my calendar is accurate so that I can show up and be my best. And she never does it with any kind of angst or any, you know, any kind of going like, oh, another change. It's like, she is an angel. That's why I appreciate you, Louise. And like, you know, you hear her and then everyone goes around and tosses out these appreciations. And at times when, if we're in the middle of a launch or we're in the middle of kind of an intense time, we have a Slack channel you can do it in. So it has been such a transformative practice for us because we do it consistently and not everyone gets to work with everyone directly. So you get to hear the specifics around someone's genius. They get that public acknowledgement and it's just, it's awesome. It is really awesome. And so it creates this culture of seeing people and acknowledging people and lifting them up. So that's on a practice that we do that really supports our team, especially because we are virtual. I will say one of the other best things that we've done that we continue to practice to this day, and I learned this because I made painful, gut-wrenching mistakes. We date before we marry. We don't hire anyone like that. We create a way to do some type of test, paid freelance work, project work, something so that we can get to know you and how you work, how you deliver, how you communicate, the, the quality of what you do, and that you can get to know us, our weirdness, how we communicate, our expectations, the culture. And then after usually about 90 days of like being in the trenches together, we know, We know whether or not we're like, this is on like flan. You better come with us. Let's do this. And that person, if they're in another position, can feel safe, right? They're not taking that big of a risk. Or if they're a freelancer, they can be like, oh, I actually want to be in this environment. And the times that I have not adhered to that, my director of operations and I, we've like now pinky swore, like we will never make that mistake again because it was so painful. The times I've made the error to say, oh, just bring them on, I've had to fire them and I've felt awful, because I respect people and I care about them but it was out of my own desperation to want to fill a spot. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. 100%. Yeah, we yeah.
1: yeah. The hiring stuff is so it's it's hard because it's like me stepping into the part of like owning the business and being like, oh, this is my business and this is how we operate. Yes. And feeling like the people pleaser part comes in me, out in me a little bit where I'm like, they want it and I'm like, oh, I want to appease them. Yes. And give it to them and I want to help and support them. And it feels weird to be in the position of like, no, this is actually how it works. It takes a little bit longer but it does end up working for the best of people. I love that. The last question for me I wanted to talk about was something you've talked about. I I listened to in a few different episodes that you've been on other interviews was about the importance of sales and marketing. Oh, And I just like... I just loved it. It made me so happy. I was like, I just completely agree you know, with your thoughts and sentiments around it, around the importance of everyone basically having the sales and marketing skills, especially if you're in the online space. And it doesn't have to be gross and it doesn't have to be bad. It's more of just like, that's really how we have to operate in, in 2020. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on
0: it. Yes. So I am such a a passionate lover of small business owners and them finding success. Like this is all rooted in me wanting to see people free, emotionally free, mentally, physically, and financially. When again, everyone, but I will aim it at women because that is the vast majority of my audience. When women are financially free, everyone wins. They win. Their family wins, their community wins, and the whole world wins. There is research to back this up. This is not hypotheses. This is not feel-good bullshit. This is reality. So- this comes back to when I was first running my business and I had like my dance and fitness career and I had my coaching business and I would be like at a Nike event in Europe and people were like, how are you doing what you're doing? And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you have this coaching practice, you're doing this. I said, well, I understand sales and marketing. And they're like, oh, I have an idea for something that I want to do, but sales and marketing oh, that's gross. I'm the idea person. I need to find a partner. That's for somebody else to do. I just want to be the creative. And I'd want to take them, you guys, and slap the shit out of them. like Seriously, in a loving way. Like Shake people and be like, no, sales and marketing is the lifeblood of any healthy business. And don't sell yourself short. So as I started digging deeper, I understood why so many people especially women, have negative associations when it comes to sales and marketing. Because you think of a used car salesman, you think of this guy with like big gold chains and like chomping on a cigar going, hey, sweetheart, I got another car for you over here, right? (laughs) Being like really unethical and slimy and aggressive and pushy and trying to get people to buy things that they don't need. That's when I realized, I was like, ah, what I do... And what the opportunity is for business owners is to not do the old style of marketing. It's actually to do what I call modern marketing. Here's the difference. When you're practicing modern marketing, the best, not the worst of your humanity comes out. What does that mean? Listening, compassion, generosity, creativity. I always ask people, I'm like, you know what? when you talk to your friends, do you like recommending great movies? And usually people are like, yeah, of course. I'm like, okay, when you talk to your friends, do you like telling them about like the best restaurant you've been to and telling them like, oh my goodness, this dish is like awesome. Like, yeah, of course. I was like, okay, when someone has a problem and you have information that helps them find a solution, do you, do you like sharing that with them? They're like, of course I do. I'm like, guess what? You love marketing. You just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. Here's my belief. When you have a product or service that you believe in, something that you know helps others, and you don't educate yourself, you don't get skilled and develop the capabilities around sales and marketing, you are stealing from those who need you most. And I'm serious about that word stealing. Because there are people out there, hundreds, thousands, perhaps even millions, that right now you have something that could radically improve that person's life. And by you playing small and going, oh, I don't want to bug people and I don't want to be aggressive and I don't want to be annoying, you are holding back from someone possibly having an improvement that they desperately need. Like I think about so many things in my life that I use that I am fucking thrilled that somebody marketed to me because it's, helped me. And here's the truth. If you want to have a business that thrives, if you want to have a team that you can support, if you want to be able to pay people living wages and more, if you want your business to actually make a difference, you need to master sales and marketing. I don't know one successful business owner, not one, who poo-poo sales and marketing. The ones that do, I'm like, oh, you're going to be fine for a minute. Like Maybe they have venture capital or something within, like I don't know, a year, maybe less, they're done.
1: Yeah, it's like, for me, I completely agree with you. And I was in sales and marketing before I was in management consulting in a sales role before we moved to the podcast and are doing it full time. But it was always like the effective communication of something I believe in. Yes. You know, like that's what it's always been like for me. And it's really like flipping it to that. It's like, if I really truly believe in what I'm doing and the message that I'm sharing it's easy and it's true and I believe it and it's not sales and marketing because
0: I know this to be valuable and I know that people will benefit from it. Absolutely. It's about inspiring people to take action on something that would actually be good for them right? So you always have their best interest in mind. And I think what's so fascinating and what's such a gift about where we are in culture right now, the tools that we have at our fingertips between podcasts, between social media, between our ability to create words you know, on a website that anyone around the world can actually read. You can set it up to deliver so much value, to attract your ideal customers, to elegantly convert them into hopefully raving fans and have them thank you for actually being bold enough to share your ideas out there. So it's always win-win. Like when you're practicing modern marketing, first of all, it's way more effective than anything that's like fear-based or gross or slimy. Second of all, I love this because I think the best of my creativity and my artistry comes out when I'm doing my best marketing, right? It's a vehicle to share my heart. And then third, it's what will make your business successful. You can have the best product or service in the world. And if people don't know about it, You don't have a business, right? It cannot work. Yep. No sales equals no business. So you
2: have to learn how to embrace it. And And I think it simplifies things to be able to be yourself. Yes. Like you don't have to like kind of backtrack and be like, wait, what did I say the other day? Like, okay, like gimmicky. Yes. It it just becomes so natural and transparent and truthful, and And it's a vibration that people feel. Correct. I I know when people are speaking to something that they are so passionate about, like. I can't take my eyes off them. Yeah, that's right. And it's a gift, right? It inspires
0: you. It gets you excited about what's possible in your own life. And again, there are just simple things that you can set up as a business owner so that people feel safe doing business with you so that you're operating from a place of high values and integrity and transparency. And when more businesses operate like that, I think we're gonna live in a better world.
2: Yeah. I'd love for my last question for you to fill in one of your fill in the blanks from the book, um, which I loved. But It was around the discussion about progress versus perfection. And you asked, if I didn't have to be perfect at it, I'd try blank as soon as possible to get closer to achieving my dream.
0: Yes. Okay. So this is something that I love, but it's not on my priority list. So it's a true answer, but I'm not holding myself back due to perfection. I'm I'm not engaging with it because I'm engaging in other stuff. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't, the thing that hopefully I will be able to develop the skill in before I pass on, would be singing. Like, cool. I love karaoke like nobody's back in business. Yeah, but I would love, like, um, for me right now, dance has resurged and in my kind of the space that I've opened up for things outside of business or, you know, fun stuff, that's taking the, the seat. But I think it would be really, really fun to devote more time and energy when, it, when it's the right season for that, for singing. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Your next book
1: tour is singing. <laughs> I might sing a song. There you right? go. Like sing a song. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Um, Thank you so much. Where can our lovely community connect with you if they haven't already?
0: Oh my goodness. So everything is figure outable. It's mm-hmm. um, an audio form on Audible or wherever did you, you do, do the, the audio. Books. I did. Oh, perfect. And I had so much fun and Jersey Marie shows up a lot. Yes. <laughs> so she's awesome. Um, and obviously wherever books are sold, we would love you to support independent booksellers. Uh, but anywhere with that, uh, marieforleo.com is the main site and then at Marie Forleo on all the socials. And then in terms of B-School, you guys can share about that if you want to. Yes. Um, But yeah, that's where to find me. Yeah,
1: and thank we you. are supporters and lovers of B-School. So we will have all the information to join B-School in the show notes.
2: And thank you so much. Thank you, what guys. Yeah. Truly. All right, we'll see you guys next we'll time. See you guys Thanks soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Marie. That was awesome. Dream come true for us. True True. dream come true. (laughs) That's a (laughs) mouthful. And
1: her book is available right now. Everything is figure outable. It is amazing, easy to read. One of those books that you can read all the way through or pick up when you need inspiration and direction.
2: It is awesome. And her B school starts on March 2nd. Enrollment closes on February 28th. So if you are out there and you are wanting to, you know, turn your side hustle into your full time business or wherever you are. This is a course that will truly support you um, with everything that you need. So exciting. Thank you so much, Marie. And if you want more information about Almost 30, you can
1: go to Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram, almost30podcast.com. And we drop
2: episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. And we'd love to give a shout out. We just, we get reviews on a regular basis. And Anne from Minneapolis sent us such a sweet, sweet review. Um, I'll read part of it. This one was a long one. Thank you so much, Anne, for taking the time. Um, It's Big Hearts, five stars. Where to begin? I've been listening to Almost 30 for over a year. I love the friend who initially made the recommendation to to tune in. Without fail, I listen twice a week. It's felt like a natural addiction addiction a natural addition to my life while it felt a little awkwardly personal at first i genuinely look forward to lindsay and chris's updates each episode <laughs> awkwardly personal <laughs> holy mackerel i appreciate their openness making so me feel <laughs> making me feel like i've known them forever and their willingness to share the small and large milestones To me, they are emblematic of who I am, a 30-something-year-old who sees the richness and complexity in life while still wanting to have fun. In my own journey to wholehearted living, they are a lovely piece of the puzzle, a compliment to the work I want to be doing to improve. Their episodes remind me I'm not alone in this journey, and the journey is worthwhile. Wow. Wow.
1: Every review I read is like our my new mission statement. Holy moly. Like that's what I'm I like want to update my Instagram by. Literally. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. When you guys write reviews, it means so very much. It keeps us going. We are eternally grateful.
2: Eternally. We love you. We'll see you on the next one. See you soon. Bye.